I'm unapologetically fly. No wonder why, that's just my attitude. Yeah. Okay, hey, that's just my. Uh, 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 come on. Yeah, yeah. Hi guys, welcome to Glitching the Code in here on, here on Iconic.com and BitChute. We're unfortunately getting censored all over the place, so this is only the places you can let you can find this information, and and there's a reason for that, and we'll come to that. I'm here with author Paul Levy, or is it Levi? How to pronounce your last name? Levy, Paul Levy. Levy. So it's it's fine either way. I don't really oh, mind. Yeah. Paul Levy. And he's the author of Dispelling Wetiko. And I first came across his work after reading. I've seen David Ike's latest videos, but reading Perceptions of Renegade Mind. And Paul was mentioned in it and the book was in, mentioned in it. And I reached out and got the book. And um, it's the concept of Wetiko that fascinates me. Now, since I was a kid, I remember someone saying, I remember the little rhyme was, um, row, row, row your boat, gently down the stream, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. And with me, that always stuck with me as a kid. Um, how did you, what fascinates me now, I'll start from this, is what fascinates me is how people wake up to this. It seems to be by a trauma. Um, a lot of people seem to go through a trauma that kind of cracks them open. Did you find that with yourself? How did you come to see yeah, the world this that way? That was 100% what happened to me. I was just a normal person living a happy, healthy life. And then there was this overwhelming trauma that came my way. And um, it just created enormous suffering to the point where I went from being, you know, really accomplished um, person to to barely able to, you know, to take the next step in my life. And what I chose to do was go inwards and go into my own mind to try to really see what was going on. And um, and then that that really was my initiation. By doing that a couple in a couple years, you know, just hours and hours and hours a day, I had a huge awakening, a spiritual awakening, in which I began to realize this is a collective dream. But I was so enthusiastic, and you know, I was 24, and I don't know if anybody could have been prepared for that. You know, thinking what was real and objective and solid, all of a sudden finding it was realizing, oh my God, I'm in a collective dream. We're all dreaming this up moment by moment in into materialization, and I was so enthusiastic and excited that it freaked people out, you know, and right away I got thrown in mental hospitals and told, oh, you're chemically imbalanced, you're mentally ill, you're gonna need to be on medication the rest of your life. And, you know, what saved me is that I knew, it, it couldn't have been made more clear that I was having an awakening, but then I began to recognize the same evil force that had come through, it was the person of a particular family member um, through my father, then all of a sudden it was as if it had it shifted channels and that same evil force was coming through psychiatry and the mental health system as if it pervaded the non-local field. That's when I began to first track, wait a second, there's something almost you could say higher dimensional that pervades the collective unconscious, that pervades, that's intrinsic to the non-local collective field that um, was playing itself out, not just in my life, but collectively through all of our lives. And that was what started my inquiry into Watiko. As soon as I found out the Native American term about Watiko and I began studying it, I realized this maps on precisely to what I was tracking. And so that was really the start. It was totally a trauma that started my inquiry. 
So how many, how comes all these years later, you're still so passionate about getting this information out? Because, I mean, I've done this for about seven or eight years now. I'm 40 years old. So I've been doing it a little while. And I've only just started to learn about Watiko. How is it now that it's actually starting to become into the collective consciousness? You can see it now. People are going, yeah. oh, my God, there is a psychosis. It's so blatant right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Right. How, how have you kept that up? Kind of not yeah. people not well, talking about it through the years. Well, so I've been talking about it for over 25 years. I mean, that's all I do. That's all I talk about is the collective psychosis. And I've been pointing out that there's a mind virus. And then when I found out the name Watiko, you know, um, that's what I called it, you know, because other indigenous wisdom, you know, traditions had called it that. But the point is, it wasn't just an individual process. It's at the bottom. It's what, it's like the, you could say, bug in the system, in our collective global system, that's at the bottom of our collective madness and all of the evil that's getting um, enacted throughout the body politic of the world. So because of that, it's not just, oh yeah, personal thing in my own psychology. No, it's in each one of our individual processes and it's being, it's being played out collectively in, a, in this destructive way on the world stage to the extent we're not awake to it. So Castaneda, in the Castaneda books, um, his teacher, Don Juan, calls Watiko, though he doesn't have the name for it, the topic of topics. There is nothing more important to understand in the world. It's if we don't, um, you know, become aware of it, we're going to be compelled to continue. We're going to be fated to destroy ourselves like we're doing, you know, every day. But the point that I'm making is that encoded, hidden within Watiko, it's actually helping us. It's actually helping us to wake up. It's actually helping us to connect with our creativity. It's helping us to recognize this is a collective dream and it's helping us to snap out of the imagination that we exist as a separate self, which is which we don't. And as long as we're attached and identified with we exist as a separate self, separate from other separate selves, separate from the universe at large, that in a sense is Watiko. That's Watiko in action. And then we just unwittingly become an instrument to destroy ourselves. So it's because of that, that I've been so passionate. It's all I talk about. It's what my life is devoted to. You know, it's like, and I would bet money, anybody who's turned on to this, there's no doubt they would be doing the same thing in their own way. Not that they might be not writing books, but who knows how they would be creatively expressing it. But I feel like I'm pointing at something. I've been seeing something. And if I could just say one more thing, I remember years ago, I had this dream. It was the morning two of my teachers were coming. And so I think I had a lot of energy. And in the dream, me and a bunch of friends, we were on the lookout for this evil force, for this vampiric force, for Count Dracula himself. And we were all chanting, Bela Lugosi, Bela Lugosi. And then I saw him and I tried to point him out to everybody, but no one else could see him. And that dream, in a way, that's my, that's my myth, in that over the years, I've developed a more like a greater fluency and being better able to articulate this vampire that I'm seeing that's not separate from us. It doesn't even exist at all separate from us. So it is no independent existence. I don't want to scare people and, oh, you know, to just, you know, fuel more fear. But the point is, is that this vampiric force, Watiko, it has no intrinsic independent existence whatsoever, separate from our own mind, and yet it can kill us. 
And what that means, it's pointing at that we have this enormous, unimaginable, vast creative power that we have 24-7, all of us. But to the extent that we're not awake to it, Watiko, which has no creativity, plugs into our creative essence, and it turns it against us in a way that's destroying us. That's why I'm screaming so loud on the rooftops for 25 plus years to help people to wake up to this. There's so much connection there. As when you're talking about not having any creativity, straight away the archons come to mind of the fact that they have no creativity and they just leech off of humanity and take what we put out there and twist it. Is there a connection there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Gnostics, they called it the archons. That's exactly an equivalent term for Watiko. I have two new books coming out on Watiko because it's such an important topic. And in the books, I'm talking about how every spiritual tradition from time immemorial is pointing at Watiko. They just call it a different name. In the Bible, in the apocryphal text, they talk about the counterfeiting spirit and they describe this counterfeiting spirit. And that's Watiko. But it was interesting, it got edited out of the actual Bible. And I point out in my book that, yeah, Watiko was on the editorial board. That's why it made sure to take out any notion of a counterfeiting spirit, because it can't stand to be seen. When it's exposed, we take away its power and we become empowered. Okay, so this counterfeiting spirit, what it does, it has no power over us whatsoever as far as when we're in our true nature. It can't manipulate that true nature part. It can't possess it. It can't have any effect on, on when we're you know, in our true nature. What it does, being a counterfeiting spirit, it's, it's simula- it sets up a simulation. It impersonates us. It puts us on. Putting us on like a suit of clothes, but putting us on means to fool us. So it presents to us this version, this limited version of who we are. Oh, I'm wounded. I'm, you know, abused. I'm traumatized. And as soon as we identify with its version of who we are, then we're gone. Because think about what's just happened. We've actually given ourselves away. We've identified with who we're not. And we've disconnected from our creative agency. That's a recipe. That is Watiko. That's exactly what it does. And then we spend the rest of our lives investing all of our energy in protecting and defending this fictitious identity that doesn't even exist in the way we're imagining it does. That's madness. You see, Watiko is a collective madness. And when that's getting played out, you know, in in the world, in the body politic of the world, on the world theater, we have this unbelievable collective psychosis in which we're destroying ourselves. And basically what I'm saying, which some people think is so radical, but it's such a no brainer, is that the source and the solution of this process is to be found within our psyches. Because what Watiko does, it distracts us in thinking the problems out there, all the solutions out there. And then as soon as we do that, we've split from ourselves, we've disassociated. And then Watiko has a field day. But when we begin to recognize that the source of the problem and the solution is within us, that's all of a sudden when we're on the right track. It's incredibly empowering. Do you think the, the psychology profession, as come to know in the last hundred plus years, is a creation of what ego. I've I know someone who's who was diagnosed cluster B personality disorder with borderline personality disorder and all this, and they've become a psychologist, which is horrific in my mind because they're completely right. mad. Do you think psychology, as a pseudoscience as it is, is a creation of what ego? Because it labels yeah, well, everyone as it has problems. 
Jung said about modern psychology that it's it's he called it um, psychology without the psyche that they they've you know taken out the psyche because it's behaviorist or biochemical you know with pharmaceuticals and now there's a great you know there is an art of psychology and I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater you know the study of the psyche and that's profound but I'll talk from my experience. I was having a full-blown spiritual awakening that was that was a result of, of this abuse that was playing out through my father. When I had my awakening, you know, and all I needed was time, was a number of months to just have people sort of support me and take care of me and so that I can integrate what I was realizing, but immediately getting pathologized and then getting medicated. And then when I was trying to explain about the abuse, they protected the abuser. And that's part of what Tico. But then not only did they not have the recognition of the healthy part of me, but then they pathologized me. And the more I got pathologized, the sicker I got. And then the sicker I got, that confirmed their pathology in, in a self-reinforcing feedback loop that was of the nature of a spell. And that was of the nature of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The point is, psychiatry, if I would have subscribed to their perspective, i.e. that I was mentally ill, they would go, oh, great, another successful treatment, mm. okay? And I would have been destroyed for the whole rest of my life. But I was fortunate in that I knew I was having an awakening. And I just, as they were diagnosing me, I was diagnosing them as just being incredibly stupid. And so the what you're pointing at is that there is a big element of psychology. I remember talking to this psychiatrist friend of mine from Harvard, um, and I was saying, why aren't, why isn't the mental health system, why isn't psychiatry studying the mind virus? And he's saying, oh, they don't see that as in their purview. They're more interested in, you know, pathology in individuals. And I was saying to him, but individuals don't exist as separate from the field. It's all part of one whole quantum system. But he was just reflecting back, yeah, that's not how they see what they're doing, psychiatrists. And so, you know, to the extent that psychiatrists are just studying pathologies in individual separate selves, they're already on the wrong track. Because you see, the way to see Watiko is to actually see through that imagination. It's just a false imagination that we exist as a separate self. We don't. We exist interdependent, interconnected with the whole rest of, of the universe. There's no separate self to be found anywhere. And to see that is to see this, this field, this non-local field. I mean, this is what, what the quantum physicists discovered, that there is a non-local field that we're expressions of and we're contained within and there's no separation. And one other way of saying that is to see through the separate self, the, the imagination of that, to see the non-local field is to recognize the dreamlike nature. We are having a collectively shared dream. That's I'm not speaking in metaphorical terms I'm actually saying this is a dream, just like a night dream. And just like a night dream, you can have lucidity, you can, you know, um, you know, could have the realization that the dream, that you're inside of your own psyche, that it's just your own energy. And we can have that same experience right now in our waking dream, but it gets really interesting when you connect with other dream characters in this waking dream who are also waking up. And you discover that you can connect with each other in a way where you can actually change the dream. And that's not like woo-woo, new age, magical thinking. That's what this is all about, okay? And um, 
you know, in a sense, what I'm describing is that we are demanded to discover that we are participating in our own evolution, okay? And to the extent that we actually have that realization and connect with other people who have that realization, that's where, like I'm saying, we can get in phase with each other and actually change the waking dream. And that's what this is all about. Fascinates me about that. I think I heard you you say in another another interview I was watching today about you were saying you were creating the dreams. So as soon as you thought in the dream when you're asleep, dreams, it changes what you see. So you're creating it as you go, and that's what's happening as us. We're almost laying the road as we're walking on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's a way of understanding the Watiko mind virus that we have this unbelievable creative power, and we have it twenty four seven. You know, but we either don't know we have it or we don't know how to implement it, how to channel it. An example, a perfect example is being in this dream at night. You're in a dream. Whatever point of view you're holding in the dream instantaneously gets reflected back because the dream is nothing than your own mind. It's a reflection of your own mind. So if you're holding a point of view, right, say the point of view is, oh, this, this, this world I'm in is objective and solid and separate. Well, the dream, the night dream being nothing other than a reflection of, you know, your, of, of you will absolutely instantaneously give you all the evidence confirming your point of view that the dream is objective. Now you have evidence confirming, oh, my point of view is correct. So then you become even more fixed in that point of view. And then, of course, the dream instantaneously, instantaneously just reflects back, confirming your point of view in a self-reinforcing self feedback loop ad infinitum, whose source is in your own mind. And what I'm describing, you've just entranced yourself. You've hypnotized yourself by the creative power of your own mind into this fragmented and arbitrary perspective. And what I'm describing, that is what is happening in our world. You see, it's already, we've already discovered the solution to all the myriad world crises on our planet. And it has to do with each one of us because it starts on the individual dimension, tapping into our genius, our creative genius. And when sufficient number of us tap into our creative genius, and like I've been saying, connect with other people, then that's the solution because then we we discover we're dreaming the dream and we've been conditioned and entranced to dream it in such a limited problematic way that's killing us but encoded within that within the poison you see hidden within watiko is the medicine that's what i keep on trying to say it's a quantum phenomena encoded in watiko it's not only it's it has its own medicine it's helping us. It's helping us to wake up to the dreamlike nature. It's helping us to wake up to who we are. And like one way of understanding this, one thing that's beyond debate, we are destroying ourselves. We're destroying the biosphere, the life support system of our species, right? Question, how come we're doing that? Answer, we are doing that because we don't know how to not do it. Okay. And so what that means is that encoded in our destroying ourselves is the way we're teaching ourselves how to not destroy ourselves, which we clearly don't know, or we wouldn't be destroying ourselves. So you see encoded within the pathology is the solution. That's what I'm pointing at that Watiko is the source of the greatest evil that our species is enacting on ourselves and on each other and encoded hidden within the pathogen 
is the medicine. If Watiko didn't exist, we'd have to invent it. Hmm. That's what I'm pointing at, you know? So is it is a good way and that way of putting it that it's your greatest opponent will bring out the best in you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like that would be a perfect way of saying it is like we we need an adversary you know or if we're if we have a car and we want to like see well you know get the best out of the car we have to give it this road test to the utmost to see what it's going to bring out and one way of understanding that even further the unconscious individually this is empirically known in psychology that oftentimes the unconscious will we will create put ourselves in this unbelievable mess, like right at the edge of a cliff, right at the corner where there's no escape in our lives. So many people, they write to me or they work with me and they tell me, oh my God, I'm in this impasse. I'm double bound, I'm stuck. You know, I don't know what to do. And yet the unconscious oftentimes will do that to bring out the best in that person, to help them to wake up to gifts that they didn't know they had to help them to actually wake up to who they are, right? That's a known process individually. What I'm pointing out is that that process is happening collectively as a species. We as a species, we've dreamed ourselves right at the edge of our, at the cliff. And we've been here before. It's as if we've had this dream millions and trillions of times before, and then we just destroy ourselves. We, we just destroy ourselves. And then you know, in, in, in a dream, there's no time. And then billions of years later, we're back at the same place and we destroy ourselves again. And I'm pointing out this might be the time, hopefully, where instead of, because if you don't get the message in a dream, it just recurs. And then the message gets more and more amplified. And so what I'm putting out is this is the time, hopefully, when we actually, instead of just destroying ourselves again and then having to do it all over again, that this is the time when enough of us actually awaken to that Watiko is this revelation. It's a revelation, it's revelatory. It's showing us exactly what we need to know to wake up. If we don't recognize the revelation, then it's gonna destroy us. That's the nature of our situation. It's encoded in the word revolution, isn't it? It revolves around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing which is interesting is that in my books, I'm continually circumambulating Watiko, you know, and because it can't really be understood with the intellectual mind. But when you circumambulate it, it's like going down and down a spiral. And by doing that, you're making the center more apparent. And that center is ourselves. Because the way to really um, heal Watiko is to get in touch with our true nature, you know, with who we really are. And the thing about our true nature, like I was saying, it, it's, it's, you know, untouchable by Watiko. The thing about our true nature is that our true nature, it's not just like, oh, I've gotten in touch with my true nature and then I just don't do anything. No, our true nature is by nature creative. We are creative beings. That's our nature. And when you get in touch with your true nature, you realize, oh my God, I'm a creative person. I'm gonna express my nature creatively. And the more you express yourself creatively, the more you have realization of your true nature in an infinitely self-perpetuating feedback loop that instead of being vampiric is energy creating endlessly, you know? And we all have that. And this is exactly what quantum physics, you know, I wrote a book about quantum physics 
And this is what quantum physics is actually pointing at. Did you think the, um, the, the characters of, of vampires, the characters of Dracula, were a Watiko actual kind of uh, expression of that information here? So we see it as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, an example, but is that where it's come through to show you, look, this is here. We know there's Vlad the Impaler and that's what it's built upon, but yeah. was that infused through that mindset, that Archon yeah. Watiko well, mindset? Well, one way of understanding it is that, you know, the psyche, our psyche is creative and it creates in all different ways. And it creates through fairy tales, through mythology, through symbols, just like when you have a dream, the language of dreams are symbols. And so the mythology of Dracula, of the vampire, that was or is the psyche's way of trying to, to symbolize this inner unconscious process that we're all potentially prey to. And Watiko is totally a vampire. It has no life force of its own, just like a vampire. If it has nothing to feed upon, it dies. You know, it has to have a feeding station. And, and then when we, you know, become the, the recipient of that vampiric energy, afterwards we'll feel drained and, oh, I don't have any energy. And we all know that when we hang out with some people, we feel energized and inspired and creative. And other people we hang out with, um, we feel exhausted afterwards. And we all potentially have that vampiric part in ourselves, you know? And so, you know, one way of understanding this, because I'm continually just as I more and more just, you know, access my, you know, not even my incredible creativity, the incredible creativity that's available to all of us, I continually creatively articulate Watiko in all these new ways. And like, you know, it's, it's this, this, this parasite of the mind, it's a virus of the mind. It's like a tapeworm that gets in your system and a tapeworm will secrete chemicals in your mind that will feed it, that, that all of a sudden you'll, um, you know, all of a sudden just crave certain foods and you'll eat these foods that are feeding the tapeworm and it grows bigger, you know, when you're the host and all the while you think you're actually feeding yourself, but you're feeding it, the tapeworm, Watiko, until it grows bigger and bigger until it kills you. But what it doesn't want to do is kill you too soon mm. because then either it would die or it would suffer the inconvenience of having to prematurely find a new host, you know? And so what I'm pointing out, you see not only spiritual traditions, but artists and writers and thinkers and philosophers all throughout history have symbolized Watiko. I, you know, my next books, I talk about this. And the idea about Watiko, it's this blindness. It's a form of blindness that actually thinks it's sighted. It doesn't know it's blind. And not only does it think it's sighted, it thinks it's more sighted than people who have sight. Okay, and and Watiko can't see the darkness. It can't see its own shadow. It sees it projected out on on the other, but also it can't see the light. It can't see its own light. It's an all around blindness. Okay, and um, so that's why. So on the one hand, it doesn't work to preach the light to people who whose eyes are blind. It's a much better strategy to teach people how to see. And that's what I'm trying to do with my work. I'm continually pointing at Watiko in all these different ways to help people to see it. And the very first step in seeing it is to recognize the part of us that's been blind. Because that part of us that's seeing that we're blind 
that's the part that actually is beginning to really have sight. That's fascinating and really helpful for people right now because never has there been a, well, not in our lifetime, been a more obvious split between those who can see and those who can't. And regardless of your belief, what's going on, but people literally in the same household will have completely different opinions on the, on the, the, the disaster that's pretty much going on, especially in the Western world. Now, there seems to be a very clear case of Wetiko with a lot of people. Is this a good, right. yeah. Where do you, what's your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wetiko feeds off of when there's polarization and yeah. separation. Okay. And fragmentation. Cause that's what Watiko does. It gets into a whole psyche and it fragments it. And that process, you see the thing about Watiko, it's an inner disease of the soul. And it has this incredible ability to somehow extend itself out into the seemingly outer world and actually um, synchronistically, synchronistically reflect back the state of a psyche that's under its thrall. So if I'm under the spell of Watiko, my psyche is you know, in this fragmented, compartmentalized state, I'm split, I'm dissociated, that will get reflected back through my outer world in the sense that there'll be all this like polarization and separation, which is actually reflecting the inner state of my psyche. Okay, and when you recognize the inner, the outer world is reflecting the inner, that's to recognize the dreamlike nature. Okay, so the point is, is that what Tico feeds off of, you see, when there's the separate self, or even more than that, when the, when we think there's an objective world out there separate from us, okay? And this is what quantum physics, because quantum physics has offered us the medicine to dispel Watiko. That's what my book is about on quantum physics. When we think that this world actually exists objectively, well, that's only half the equation. As soon as we hold that viewpoint, we then conjure ourselves up to be a subject that's, that is subject to that objective world. So all of a sudden, the objective world and our subjective experience of being, you know, an ego, a separate self, mm. reciprocally co-arise, reinforcing each other. Yep. That's the spell. And then as soon as we then identify with the separate self, you know, then what happens? There is fear. There is other. If I exist as a separate self, there's other. As soon as there's other, there's fear. As soon as there's fear, that's the fuel for Watiko. Okay, because Watiko feeds off of fear. It feeds off of polarization and separation. And um, that's why, you see, with this whole pandemic, there is such an opportunity for us to recognize, wow, we're all in this together. We're interdependent. I depend on other people for my well-being and vice versa. It could potentially help us to snap out of the, this spell of thinking that we exist as a separate self and recognize we're actually cells in a greater organism. We're not separate. And we can actually co-operate and co just like it, it's what I call, we can conspire to co-inspire each other. That's a real conspiracy theory. You know, We can literally dream ourselves awake. This isn't some theory. This is available to us right now. We already have everything we need to wake up and to avert this impending catastrophe in the myriad world crises. We already have the medicine. We don't have to first get it or order it or anything. And all I'm trying to do is to help people to remember, to like wake up to in a sense who we are and what that means, not just the idea who we are, but to actually connect with our creative agency. You know, And then how do you express that? 
you know, and how do you express that in a way to help other people to wake up to their creative agency and to realize, oh my God, when enough of us have this realization, like I've been saying, you know, we can come together and and um, participate in our own evolution. And the way to understand that in a dream, if you're in a night dream, right, and you're in your in your you know the dream ego, the model of who you typically identify yourself as being, and you're walking around the dream, and here I'm this you know guy, 64, almost 65 year old guy. So I might be in that dream ego and then say, if I have lucidity and I realize, oh my God, I'm in a dream. This is just my own mind. There's nothing that's not me, right? Now imagine if another of my dream characters, an aspect of myself in that dream, they also have lucidity. And then imagine a third or a 10th or a hundred of us of these dream characters in the dream that I'm describing have lucidity and come together and we trip out and contemplate what we're realizing. Oh my God, this universe we're in, we're dreaming it up. And it's manifesting in such a problematic, limited way because we've been conditioned based on trauma, based on fear to dream it up that way. But as we're realizing that and we realize, oh my God, we're dreaming this. This is just reflecting our own state of our own mind. We discover as we stabilize that awakening in the dream, that we can change the dream and we could dream it in a way that's much more in alignment, filled with grace, much more in alignment with who we've now discovered ourselves to be, which is that we're not separate and that we're the dreamer of the dream. What I just described is a night dream scenario. That is actually our situation right now in the waking dream. So did we, in that, in that, um, in that way of thinking, did we fall asleep to come to this dream? to be here, to make a difference, to wake up in the end and then go back into the, the waking other reality. Are we asleep? Did we fall asleep as we were born? I think I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's as if, I mean, what you ask brings up for me, it's as if we, when we incarnated in these bodies, we incarnated, you know, in this asleep way. Whereas in Tibetan Buddhism, the practice I do, there are certain beings who really, you know, whatever, become enlightened, whatever that means in their past life, whatever that means. And then when they incarnate in this life, they've developed a way of discovering those kids and realizing, oh my God, this is the incarnation of the previous enlightened being who hasn't fallen asleep. And, you know, I have a bunch of teachers in Tibetan Buddhism who I'm really close with. And one of them, actually a lot of them are, are these incarnations like the Dalai Holiness Dalai Lama, they have the, the remembrance of their past life. And there was one of them who, who explained to me, he goes, yeah, because he was found, he was a little baby and he was the Oracle in his last life of a major city in Tibet. And they discovered him as a baby. And, and he said to me, yeah, it's like at night when you have dreams and a series of dreams, and in one dream, you're a 64-year-old man. In the next dream, you're a 10-year-old girl. And mm -hmm. he goes, imagine keeping your continu continuity of awareness between those dreams instead of falling asleep and forgetting and finding yourself in a new identity. That's what being an incarnate Lama or whatever, you know, is like, is keeping the continuity of awareness between our lives. So, but with most of us, we've fallen asleep. And it's not just like that our species is asleep. It's as if, as if there is a negative force 
that's trying to keep us asleep. Yeah. Okay. And that's what Tico. But what I'm pointing out is that encoded in that process, instead of an error, yeah, if you see it as an error, as a mistake in the evolutionary process, then it'll manifest as an error. And, you know, you'll have all the evidence to confirm, oh, I'm, I'm screwed, you know, but if you actually, what I'm pointing at is that that's part of the divine plan, that that's not an error, that's somehow hidden, encoded in that fall, in that falling asleep, in that negative force trying to keep us asleep, it's actually invoking in us something, some sort of good, some sort of light that is emerging out of that darkness, that if the darkness wasn't there, that light wouldn't have emerged. Okay. I get that. It's like the eternal flame. So someone, I don't know when I, where I read this before, but um, it was a concept that, that God or God consciousness wanted to experience itself, but into doing so, it had a concept of what it was, but it didn't, never experienced it. it had to split itself into something that it wasn't, so it knew what it was. Is that a concept that you're kind of familiar with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. It's almost like you can think of it, in, at least the way I think of it, God has, has is so free, infinite freedom, that he or she, it or however you characterize it, has the freedom to forget who it is and to appear as something wholly other than itself. That's how free God is, you know? And um, if I could just say one thing, because I keep on thinking about it, quantum physics, like I had shared uh, before, is, is offering us the medicine for Watiko. Now, um, I'm just going to take a step back. Tibetan Buddhism talks about these things called terma. Terma are these hidden treasures. And it's the way the, the tradition that I, the lineage I do practice to, the way it propagates itself is through these terma, these hidden treasures. And what they are, they're these hidden treasures that are implanted in the multidimensional fabric of the universe in all different dimensions, in the earth, in our minds, in all dimensions. And then like alarm clocks, they are, they will go off. They will be discovered. Somebody will be inspired to discover these hidden treasures right at the exact moment that they're needed. And it's as if that's the very teaching or blessing or whatever it form it takes that the, that the people need, the community needs in order to you know, keep them on the right path and, and help them to wake up. And, um, you know, and, and it's as if the, the, the cosmos secretes like a vitamin. And it's just like, you know, right when it's needed, just like a dream. When we get offsided, we get one-sided in a dream, the unconscious will compensate and send us a symbol that gets us more back into balance and connected with ourselves. That's a very simple way of understanding the hidden treasure tradition. How come I'm bringing up hidden treasures is that I've been, you know, a few years ago, I gave this talk, this big talk where I was basically saying that quantum physics you know, we have to be careful of appropriating other traditions, ideas. So I'm not saying it's a terma, but it, as everything I know about quantum physics and about the terma, the hidden treasure tradition, quantum physics is a modern day analog to a terma. It's, it's, it can be seen as a hidden treasure that it was discovered a century, a little bit more than a century ago, that came into our world and into our minds in a way to help us to wake up. Okay, because what quantum physics has proven empirically showing us that the idea that this world exists objectively is nonsense. That's just an idea of our mind, has no correlative reality whatsoever. Quantum physics, the essence of it, 
is that by us actually, as we observe the universe, we are influencing the universe observed. That, by the way, is just like a dream, okay? What that means is profound because what that means is that the act of observation is creative, yep. okay? So we've, we've entranced ourselves and hypnotized ourselves by our creative genius of how we moment by moment dream up our world in a way where we're, we're killing ourselves. But quantum physics comes along and says, hey, look, you have this enormous creative power every moment. We, we're on the cutting edge, the forefront of the Big Bang right now. And we are literally creating our experience. We're creating our experience of ourselves and our experience of the world. There's no one else doing that to us. We are doing that. We are creating our experience. And to the extent we begin to plug into that, and by the way, the founding fathers of quantum physics would describe these, these revelations in terms of it's like under, being under a spell. It's like there's an evil godmother. It's like, you know, uh, you know, there's some sort of curse. They would literally be using these terms. They were discovering Watiko, but they didn't, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have that idea. And so um, when we take on board and install into the operating system of our mind what quantum physics is showing us. And it's not, you know, it's very controversial. You know, the one thing that there's no controversy about in quantum physics is that it's the greatest discovery ever in all of history in the realm of science. I don't know one physicist who disagrees with that. What the controversy is, is what does it mean? Okay, everybody has their theories. And, and you know, some quantum physicists are saying, until we can get to the central simple idea and express it in like five words or put it on a bumper sticker or put it on a, on a t-shirt, until we're able to do that, we don't really understand quantum physics. And I'm pointing out, we can essentialize the meaning of quantum physics. Life is but a dream. Mm. That's what it's showing us. And not only that, quantum physics is a manifestation of the dream like nature that it's actually pointing at. Okay. So um, everything we need, we all, we, all the, the clues. And the thing about the Terma, one final thing, is that, you know, say if I want to, tomorrow, I want to, there's something, oh, I want to remember to bring out my, my coffee cup when I leave the house. I might put something in front of the front door, right, this object, so that tomorrow morning when I go out and I've forgotten to bring my coffee cup, I see the object, I've imbued it with meaning going, oh, remember my coffee cup, and it helps me to remember my coffee cup. That was what I wanted to do. Well, just think about what I'm describing. A self in this moment is actually planting a clue in the universe for a future self tomorrow to help it to remember something that, that it wants to do, right? And so it's as if a past self is communicating with a future self to help it to wake up in a certain way. I'm actually positing, wow, are we doing that? Is that ability, do we actually have that ability? And is the true nature part of us, that's the dreamer of the dream, are we planting clues in the fabric of our lives so as to help us to wake up? There's a concept as similar to that of mapping out your life or you get here and you meet certain people at certain points. And I'm assuming that's right. a very crude concept of, of what you're talking about. It's, it's a very same, same theory as a, kind of leaving clues for yourself, almost like breadcrumbs. Yeah, yeah right, right. And that, um, Von Franz, um, the colleague of Jung's main colleague, um, Von Franz talks about a soul family. Now, she's not a new age 
magical thinking person. She's unbelievable scholar. And um, she talks about a soul family that incarnates over lifetimes that with the underlying theme to help each other to wake up. She calls it reciprocal individuation. And I think a lot of us feel that, you know, I'll meet somebody and we'll really connect and they'll become part of my dream and part of my community. And it's as if, oh, it's the time now for me to connect with this part of myself and we have gifts for each other. Mm -hmm. And you see, one of the things about this work is you discover it really helps to connect with other people who are also awakening, who are also, you know, to form the real Sangha of the Buddha, the real spiritual, spiritual sort of this community where it's not based on competition, who's more awake or hierarchy, because as soon as there's hierarchy, that opens up the door for abuse. But it's actually based on, not on the separate self, but on the true self. That is, we don't exist independent from each other. And that if I help the other person awaken, it helps me and vice versa. And so what, we're, what I'm talking about is we are in the process of discovering that we can help each other to wake up. And, um, and that's like, you know, a, a totally new paradigm in a way, instead of just seeing it as like, you know, oh, we're on our own and we're just isolated, you know? It seems like what I love about the way you're talking, and, and I think we've almost held this child, almost this childlike heart of the way of seeing the life and the world as an adventure. I find it hilarious. It, it, the world is mad, but funny, what mad. It's an amazing adventure. Do you still have that? You seem like you still have that kind of, this is a ride. Oh, totally. I mean, here it is. It's crazy. I mean, I'm just about to turn 65 and inwardly I feel like I'm 21 or something. Yeah. And I, I just, I just trip out with my friends over, you know, the sci-fi dystopian, you know, just the high weirdness that's playing out. I mean, you know, it's just, it's mind blowing. And um, having that sense of, of curiosity and wonder, you know, but one thing I want to bring up that I notice I'm thinking about because I think it's an important um, process that I've noticed in myself, and I'm convinced this isn't just personal, it's not just me, but this is archetypal, that we all experience this in our own way, that as I get closer and closer to um, articulating, you know, Watiko, and as I get closer and closer to connecting with my light, with myself, with my true nature, I notice that the seemingly these darker forces more and more get amplified and seem stronger and, and want to stop me even more and want to destroy me or shut down my voice. And when this first began happening, you know, I was interpreting it like, wow, I must really be screwed up or I'm in trouble or I have a problem. But more and more, I understand, no, that's an expression that I'm on the right path. Of course, those darker forces are going to be freaked out and threatened and are going to do everything they can to shut down people who are connecting with the, the light, with the medicine, you know, because if we bring this forth, what I'm pointing out, then the darker forces, Watiko, whatever you call it, they're unemployed, they're out of business, you know, and so I just wanted to share that because in a way, we're all these like shamans in training. And think about what a shaman is. A shaman, you know, just somebody with real empathy, and it's not something you choose to do. You'd have to be out of your mind to consciously choose the shamanic path because the suffering is overwhelming. No, shamans get called, okay, by the higher spirit, you know, a deeper part of their own, 
you know, self. And the key part is if they assent and if they say, okay, I will cooperate with my deeper calling. And that always necessitates um, a descent into the underworld, into darkness, into confronting insanity. And if they don't get caught and they come back, typically the shaman then comes back So I, I just want to say we just got cut off in the strangest way. It, it just dropped. And that's what I was just talking about, that as we get closer to the light and expressing the light, the darker forces through their non-local connections to the field will do everything they can to silence us, to deplatform us, to censor us. That, that literally just happened. And so what I was talking about, I was talking about the shamanic archetype, that that's the deeper archetype that's activated in the collective psyche. And, um, and the shaman, you know, so we're all shamans in training and, and a shaman, like I was saying, it, it's, um, you know, it's not something you would ever choose to do. You'd have to be crazy because the suffering is so overwhelmingly intense. Um, but you get called by the spirits and it always invariably involves making a descent into the underworld, into the darkness, into the unconscious and the place of where there's demons and insanity and death and all that stuff. And, um, and then if you don't get caught, typically um, you come back and you have gifts for the community. And the, but think about what a shaman is. A shaman is really empathic. And so they, when they work with someone, they literally take on the illness. And taking on has a double meaning, to take within themselves, but also to have it out with. But they take on the illness in such a way that they literally fall ill. And but if they stay ill, then they're not an accomplished shaman. They then need healers to help them. But if they're able through that experience of taking on the illness and experiencing it from the inside of somehow connecting back to themselves, then non-locally, energetically, that is actually helping the other person, making it more probable that they'll heal. And the point is, because we're interconnected and we are all shamans in training, we've all gotten sick by the collective madness that we're dreaming up collectively. And so that's what I mean that the shamanic archetype and, and it has to do with the wounded healer. Those are equivalent terms. And, but as each of us are able through our being, you know, made crazy and sickened, you know, and stressed out and anxious and depressed, whatever form our disturbance has taken through what's happening, the insanity in the world. And to the extent we're able to reconnect with ourselves even more deeply than before, almost like the, the craziness is a platform, a catapult into a deeper level of our wholeness, then shamanically, we're actually helping the non-local field. We're infusing it with more light, which instantaneously gets deposited in the collective unconscious. So that's what I mean about like, we're going through this rebirth, this death rebirth experience on a collective scale. And, um, you know, and how I know this, because I knew nothing about shamanism growing up. And when I had my trauma and I got thrown in mental hospitals and, you know, had my whole spiritual awakening, one other way of describing it was I had gotten drafted unknowingly to myself into a shamanic initiatory process. Mm. And I'm not a shaman. I'm just saying that archetype has been deeply activated in me. And, you know, yeah, when I'll have these, these dreams, these wild dreams, only in my wildest dreams am I a shaman. No, I'm just an ordinary person. I mean, it's my teachers who are the shamans, you know, or people way more accomplished than me. But um, 
The point is, though, we're all apprentices in that archetype. That archetype is being awakened in the collective psyche. And, you know, we either in shamanism, one, there are two dangers. One is for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing to, you know, make believe they're a shaman and, you know, put up a shingle and try to heal people. And they have no idea of the powers and principalities, the higher dimensional forces, the archetypal forces they're dealing with. The other great danger is for people who have shamanic abilities, which is all of us to compartmentalize them and split off from them and not use them. Then we become dissociated, you know, and we'll develop symptoms, you know. It's fascinating. I could speak to you all day about this and I would love to speak to you again again um, soon. We've got so much more we can cover. I don't want to keep you too long. We did get cut off. I've never been cut off like that. That was that was literally a dead cut off. I've right, been, right. The, and that was just so went, crazy because it? it was just it was exactly what I was just talking about, about how the darker forces are trying to shut off the light. And then it literally just happened. That was that was crazy. It was literally like the light switch went off. It wasn't a glitch. It wasn't a signal drop. It was almost like this computer just went off. It was bizarre. Um, right. Paul, where can people find your work? And also just tell us a little bit about your, your two new books coming out as well. Yeah, for sure. So um, they can find my work. Um, Awakenindhedream.com. That's the website. And there's a ton of free stuff of articles of videos, interviews, talks. I just want to get this information out, you know, and then they, they can, you know, buy my books or set up a private session or something like that. But, you know, I just really want to share this information because it's so helpful. So I have two new books coming out on the mind virus. Um, first one is coming out this fall, um, just called Watiko Healing the Mind Virus That Plagues Our World. And, um, and then the second one, we haven't um, come up with a title yet, but that's coming out in 2022. Because what had happened, I had first submitted to the publisher this huge manuscript, maybe six, 700 page manuscript, you know, which was going to be the companion volume to, to Dispelling With You Go. And they said, oh, this is too big. Can you split it up into two volumes? So I did. So that's why there's two books. Okay. But, you know, there might be more on Otiko because it, like I say, there's nothing more important for us to see and to come to terms with um, in our world today. Because if we don't, if we don't really, you know, have the recognition of Watiko and what it's showing us, there won't be a world or there won't be a human species. And, um, you know, so yeah, so that's like, I just can't say enough how important it is. And it doesn't have to be the word Watiko. We could, every tradition talks different, has different language, but just the idea that something that I'm pointing at that other people are pointing at, other spiritual traditions are pointing at, and it's the time for us to recognize it. If we don't see it, I mean, then we're doomed. But if we see it, it then is the source of the most incredible gifts. It's a terma, it's a hidden treasure. That's what I'm really wanting to transmit. So guys, please head over, I'll pull the links below to Paul's work, his website and his books. Paul, thank you for your time. And guys, hopefully that will give you some understanding of why these, the people around you seem to be asleep and can't see the most obvious. And, and I think that at least to give you an understanding of what's going on here, and you can go and do some more research on, on Paul's website about this. It's incredibly important. Paul, thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And, and I hope, hope you, yeah, that was, you enjoyed that. Yeah. Oh, that was super fun. And I just really appreciate the invite. So thank you. Okay. I'm unapologetically fly. I don't wonder why. That's just my attitude. Yeah. 